Chapter Six of Arcadia in Avernus by Will Lillibridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Six by a Candle's Flame. Asa Arnold sat in the small upstairs room at the hotel of Hans Becker. It was the same room that Ichabod and Camilla had occupied when they first arrived, but he did not know that. Even had he known, however, it would have made slight difference. Nothing could have kept them more constantly in his mind than they were at this time. He had not slept any the night before, a fact which would have spoken loudly to one who knew him well. And this morning he was very tired. He lounged low in the oak chair, his feet on the bed, the usual big cigar in his mouth. This morning the perspective of the little man was anything but normal. Worse than that, he could not reduce it to the normal, try as he might. His meeting with Camilla yesterday had produced a deep and abiding shock. For either of them to have been so moved signified the stirring of dangerous forces. They, and especially himself, who had always accepted life, even crises, so calmly, who had heretofore laughed at all display of emotion, for them to have acted as they had, for them to have spoken to each other the things they had spoken, the things they could not forget, that he never could forgive. It was unbelievable. It upset all the established order of things. His anger of yesterday against Camilla had died out. She was not to blame. She was a woman, and women were all alike. He had thought differently before, that she was an exception, but now he knew better. One and all, they were mere puppets of emotion and fickle. In a measure, though, as he had excused Camilla, he had incriminated Ichabod. Ichabod was the guilty one, and a man. Ichabod had filched from him his possession of most value, and without even the form of a by-your-leave. The incident of last evening at the saloon, for he had heard of it in the hour, as had everyone in the little town, had but served to make more implacable his resentment. By the satire of circumstances, it had come about that he again, Asa Arnold, had been the cause of another's defending the honor of his own wife. For she was his wife as yet, and that other, the defender, was Ichabod Morris. The little man's face did not change at the thought. He only smoked harder until the room was blue. But though he did not put the feeling in words, even to himself, he knew in the depths of his own mind that the price of that last day was death. Whether it was his own death or the death of Ichabod, he did not know. He did not care, but that one of them must die was inevitable. Horrible as was the thought, it had no terror for him now. He wondered that it did not have, but... On the contrary, it seemed to him very ordinary, even logical, as one orders a dinner when he is hungry. He lit another cigar, calmly. It was this very imperturbability of the little man which made him terrible. 
like a great movement of nature it was awful from its very resistlessness its imperviability to appeal steadily as he had lit the cigar he smoked until the air became bluer than before in a ghastly way he was trying to decide whose death it should be as one decides a winter's flitting whether to florida or california only now the question was should it be suicide or as in the saloon yesterday leave the decision to chance for the time the personal equation was eliminated the man weighed the evidence as impartially as though he were deciding the fate of another he sat long and very still until even in the daylight the red cigar end grew redder in the haze without being conscious of the fact he was probably doing the most unselfish thinking of his life what the result of that thought would have been no man will ever know for of a sudden interrupting hans becker's round face appeared in the doorway ichabod maurice to see you coughed the german obscured in the cloud of smoke which passed out like steam through the opening it cannot be said that asa arnold's face grew impassive it was that already certain it was though that behind the mask there occurred at that moment a revolution born of it the old mocking smile sprang to his lips the devil fights for his own he soliloquized i really believe i again the smile i was about to make a sacrifice sir thank you hans the german's jaw dropped in inexpressible surprise sir you made a decision for me then thank you i do not you understand tell mr morris i shall be pleased to see him the round face disappeared from the door Donna commented the little landlord in the safe seclusion of the stairway later in relating the incident to minna he tapped his forehead suggestively ichabod climbed the stair alone to your old room hans had said and ichabod knew the place well he knocked on the panel a voice answered come and he opened the door arnold had thrown away his cigar and opened the window the room was clearing rapidly Ichabod stepped inside and closed the door carefully behind him. A few seconds he stood holding it, then swung it open quickly and glanced down the hallway. Answering, there was a sudden scuttling sound, not unlike the escape of frightened rats, as Hans Becker precipitately disappeared. The tall man came back, and for the second time slowly closed the door. Asa Arnold had neither moved nor spoken since the first word, come, and the self-invited visitor read the inaction correctly. No man, with the knowledge Ichabod possessed, could have misunderstood the challenge in that impassive face. No man, a year ago, would have accepted that challenge more quickly. Now, but God only knew whether or no he would forget. Now, for a minute which to an onlooker would have seemed interminable. The two men faced each other. Up from the street came the ring of a heavy hammer on a sweet-voiced anvil as Jim Donovan, the blacksmith, sharpened anew the breaking plows which were battling the prairie sod for bread. 
in the street below a group of farmers were swapping yarns an occasional chorus of guffaws interrupting to punctuate the narrative the combatants heard it all as one hears the drone of a cicada on a sleepy summer day at the moment as a mere colorless background which later time the great adjuster utilizes to harmonize the whole memory ichabod had been standing now he sat down upon the bed his long legs stretched out before him it would be useless for us to temporize he initiated i've intruded my presence in order to ask you a question the long fingers locked slowly over his knees what is your object here the innate spirit of mockery sprang to the little man's face you're mistaken he smiled so far mistaken that instead of your visit being an intrusion i expected you an amending memory came to him although i wasn't looking for you quite so soon perhaps he paused for an instant and the smile left his lips as to the statement of object i think slowly a disinterested observer would have put the question you ask into my mouth he stared his tall visitor up and down critically menacingly of a sudden irresistibly a very convulsion shot over his face god man you're brazen he commented cumulatively ichabod had gambled with this man in the past and had seen him lose half he possessed without the twitch of an eyelid a force which now could cause that sudden change of expression no man on earth knew better than ichabod its intensity perhaps a shade of the same feeling crept into his own answering voice we'll quarrel later if you wish swiftly neither of us can afford to do so now i ask you again what are your intentions and i repeat the question is by right mine it's not i who've changed my name and and in other things emulated the hero of the yellowback ichabod's face turned a shade paler though his answer was calm we've known each other too well for either to attempt explanation or condemnation you wish me to testify first the long fingers unclasped from over his knee you know the story of the past year it's the key to the future a smile sardonic distinctive lifted the tips of arnold's big moustaches your faith in your protecting gods is certainly beautiful ichabod nursed a callous spot on one palm i understand very slowly at least you'll answer my question now perhaps he suggested with pleasure you intimate the future will be but a repetition of the past it'll be my endeavor to give that statement the lie you insist on quarreling i insist on but one thing swiftly that you never again come into my sight or into the sight of my wife one of ichabod's long hands extended in gesture and i insist you shall never again use the name of camilla morris as your wife the old mocking smile sprang to asa arnold's face 
unconsciously you're amusing he derided the old story of the mouse who forbids the cat you forget man she is my wife ichabod stood up seemingly longer and gaunter than ever before good god arnold he flashed haven't you the faintest element of pride or of consistency in your makeup is it necessary for a woman to tell you more than once that she hates you by your own statement your marriage even at first was merely of convenience but even if this weren't so every principle of the belief you hold releases her before god or man you haven't the slightest claim and you know it and you i love her asa arnold did not stir but the pupils of his eyes grew wider until the whole eye seemed black you fool he accented slowly you brazen egoist did it never occur to you that others than yourself could love score for the little man ichabod had been pinked first you dare to tell me to my face you loved her i do you lie blazed ichabod every word and action of your life gives you the lie not five minutes had passed since he came in and already he had forgotten asa arnold likewise was upon his feet and they too faced each other a bed length between in their minds the past and future a blank the present with its primitive animal hate blazing in their eyes you know what it means to tell me that arnold's voice was a full note higher than usual you'll apologize never it's true you lied and you know you lied the surrounding world turned dark to the little man and the dry goods box with the tin dipper on its top danced before his eyes for the first time in his memory he felt himself losing self-control and by main force of will he turned away to the window for the instant all the savage of his nature was on the surface and he could fairly feel his fingers gripping at the tall man's throat a moment he stood in the narrow south window full in the smiling irony of nature's sunshine but only a moment then the mocking smile that had become an instinctive part of his nature spread over his face i see i see but one way to settle this difficulty he intimated a taunt sprang to ichabod's tongue but was as quickly repressed there is but one unless with meaning pause i repeat there is but one ichabod's long face held like wood consider yourself then the challenged party they were both very calm now the immediate exciting cause in the mind of neither it seemed as if they had been expecting this time for years had been preparing for it perhaps as yesterday in the saloon the points of the big moustaches twitched ironically i promise you there'll be no procrastination as at certain cases recorded the mockery 
malice-inspired, was cleverly turned, and Ichabod's big chin protruded ominously as he came over and fairly towered above the small man. Most assuredly, it'll not be as yesterday. If we're going to reverse civilization, we may as well roll it away back. We'll settle it alone, and here. Asa Arnold smiled up into the blue eyes. You'd prefer to make the adjustment with your hands, too, perhaps? There'd be less risk, considering. He stopped at the look on the face above his. No man vis-a-vis -vis with Ichabod Morris ever made accusation of cowardice. Instead, instinctive sarcasm leaped to his lips. Not being of the West, I don't ordinarily carry an arsenal with me. In anticipation of such incidents as these, if you're prepared, however... And he paused again. Ichabod turned away, a terrible weariness and disgust of it all, of life, himself, the little man, in his face. A tragedy would not be so bad, but this lingering comedy of death. One thing alone was in his mind, to have it over and quickly. I didn't expect this, either. We'll find another way. He glanced about the room, a bed, the improvised commode, a chair, a small table with a book upon it, and a tallow candle. An idea came to him, and his search terminated. I may suggest, he hesitated. Go on. Ichabod took up the candle, and with his pocket knife, cut it down until it was a mere stub in the socket, then lit a match and held the flame to the wick until the tallow sputtered into burning. You can estimate when that light will go out, he intimated impassively. Asa Arnold watched the tall man steadily as the latter returned the candle to the table and drew out his watch. I think so, sotto voce. Ichabod returned to his seat on the bed. You are not afraid, perhaps, to go into the dark alone? No. By your own hand? No. Again, very slowly. Arnold understood now. You swear? Ichabod flashed a glance with the question. I swear. And I. A moment they both studied the sputtering candle. It'll be within fifteen minutes, random Ichabod. Arnold drew out his watch slowly. It'll be longer. That was all. Each had made his choice. A trivial matter of one second in the candle's life would decide which of these two men would die by his own hand. For a minute there was no sound. They could not even hear their breathing. Then Arnold cleared his throat. <clears throat> you didn't say when the loser must pay his debt, he suggested. Ichabod's voice in answer was a trifle husky. It won't be necessary. A vision of the future flashed, sinister, inevitable. The man who loses won't care to face the necessity long. Five minutes more passed. Down the street, the blacksmith was hammering steadily. Beneath the window, the group of farmers had separated. 
their departing footsteps tapping into distance and silence. Minna went to the street door, calling loudly for Hans Jr., who had strayed, and both men started at the sound. The quick catch of their breathing was now plainly audible. Arnold shifted in his chair. "'You swear!' the voice rang unnaturally sharp, and he paused to moisten his throat. "'You swear before God you'll abide by this?' "'I swear before God,' repeated Ichabod slowly. A second, and the little man followed an echo. "'And I, I swear, I too will abide.' Neither man remembered that one of this twain, who gave oath before the deity, was an agnostic, the other an atheist. A lonely south wind was rising, and above the tinkle of the blacksmith's hammer there sounded the tap of the light shade as it flapped in the wind against the window-pane. Low, drowsy, moaning, typical breath of prairie, it droned through the loosely built house, with sound louder, but not unlike the perpetual roar of a great seashell. Ten minutes passed, and the men sat very still. Both their faces were white, and in the angle of the jaw of each the muscles were locked hard. Ichabod was leaning near the candle. Its sputter and a tiny globule of hot tallow struck his face. He winced and wiped the drop off quickly. Observing, Arnold smiled and opened his lips as if to make comment, then closed them suddenly, and the smile passed. Two minutes more, the watches ticked off, very, very slowly. Neither of the men had thought beforehand of this time of waiting. Big drops of sweat were forming on both their faces, and in the ears of each the blood sang madly. A haze, as from the dropping of a shade, seemed to have formed and hung over the room, and, in unison, sounds from without acquired a certain faintness, like that born of distance. Through it all, the two men sat motionless, watching the candle and the time, as the fascinated bird watches its charmer. As the subject watches the hypnotist, as if the passive exercise were the one imperative thing in the world. Thirteen minutes. Unconsciously, Arnold was counting aloud. The flame was very low now, and he started to move his chair closer, then sank back, a smile almost ghastly upon his lips. The blaze had reached the level of the socket and was growing smaller and smaller, Two minutes yet to burn, he had lost. He tried to turn his eyes away, but they seemed fastened to the spot, and he powerless. It was as though death, from staring him in the face, had suddenly gripped him hard. The panorama of his past life flashed through his mind, the thoughts of the drowning man, of the miner who hears the rumble of crumbling earth, of the prisoner helpless and hopeless, who feels the first touch of flame. Common thought of all these were his, and in the space of time, which, though seeming to him endless, 
was in reality but seconds. Then came the duller reaction and the events of the last few minutes repeating themselves impersonally, spectacularly, as though they were the actions of another man, one for whom he felt very sorry. He even went into the future and saw the same man lying down with a tiny bottle in his hand, preparing for the sleep from which there would be no awakening, the sleep which, in anticipation, seemed so pleasant. Concomitant with this thought, the visionary shaded into the real, and there came the determination to act at once, this very afternoon, as soon as Ichabod had gone. He even felt a little relief at the decision. After all, it was so much simpler than if he had won, for then, then, he laughed gratingly at the thought, cursed if he would have known what to have done then. The sound roused him, and he looked at his watch. A minute had passed, fourteen from the first, and the flame still sputtered. Was it possible, after all, after he had decided, that he was not to lose, that the decision was unnecessary? There was not in his mind the slightest feeling of personal elation at the prospect, but rather a sense of injury that such a scurvy trick should be foisted off upon him. It was like going to a funeral and being confronted, suddenly, with the grinning head of the supposed dead projecting through the coffin lid. It was unseemly. Only a minute more. A half now. Yes, he would win. For the first time he felt that his forehead was wet, and he mopped his face with his handkerchief jerkily, then sank back in the chair instinctively, shooting forward his cuffs in motion habitual. Fifteen seconds. There could be no question now of the result, and the outside world, banished for the once, returned. The blacksmith was hammering again, the strokes two seconds apart, and the fancy seized the little man to finish counting by the ring of the anvil. Twelve, ten, eight, he counted slowly. Six was forming on the tip of the tongue when, of a sudden, the tiny flame veered far over toward the holder, sputtered, and went out. For the first time in those interminable minutes, Arnold looked at his companion. Ichabod's face was within a foot of the table, and in line with the direction the flame had veered. Swift as thought, the small man was on his feet, white anger in his face. You blew that candle, he challenged. Ichabod's head dropped into his hands. An awful horror of himself fell crushingly upon him, an aberrance of the selfishness that could have forgotten what he forgot, and for so long, almost irrevocably long. Mingled with this feeling was a sudden thanksgiving for the boon of which he was unworthy, the memory at the eleventh hour in time to do as he had done before his word had passed. Arnold strode across the room, his breath coming fast, his eyes flashing fire. He shook the tall man by the shoulder roughly. You blew that flame, I say! Ichabod looked up at the furious dark face almost in surprise. Yes, 
I blew it. He corroborated absently. It would have burned longer. Perhaps, I don't know. Arnold moved back a step, and the old smile, mocking, maddening, spread over his face, tilting perpendicular the tips of the big mustaches. After all, very slowly, after all, then, you're a coward. The tall man stood, six feet two, long, bony, immovable, Ichabod himself again. You know that's a lie. You'll meet me again another way, then? No, never. I repeat, you're a cursed coward. I'd be a coward if I did meet you, quickly. Something in Ichabod's voice caught the little man's ear and held him silent, as, for a long half-minute, the last time in their lives, the two men looked into each other's eyes. You'll perhaps explain Arnold's voice was cold as death. You have a reason? Ichabod walked slowly over to the window and leaned against the frame. Standing there, the spring sunshine fell full upon his face, drawing clear the furrows at the angles of his eyes and the gray threads of his hair. He paused a moment, looking out over the broad prairie, shimmering indistinctly in the heat, and the calm of it all took hold of him, shone in his face. I've a reason, very measuredly, but it's not that I fear death or you. He took up his hat and smoothed it absently. In future, I shall neither seek nor avoid you. Do what you wish, and God judge us both. Without a glance at the other man, he turned toward the door. Arnold moved a step, as if to prevent him going. I repeat, it's my right to know why you refuse. His feet shifted uneasily upon the floor. Is it because of another? Eleanor? Ichabod paused. Yes, very slowly. It's because of Eleanor. And another. The tall man's hand was upon the knob, but this time there was no interruption. An instant he hesitated, then absently, slowly, the door opened and closed. A moment later, indistinct, descending steps sounded on the stairway. Alone, Asa Arnold stood, immovable, looking blindly at the closed door, listening until the tapping feet had passed into silence. Then, in a moment indescribable, of pain and of abandon, he sank back into the single chair. His dearest enemy would have pitied the little man at that moment. End of chapter 6